Welcome to the Code of Traditional Archery, brought to you by Primitive Stone Archery and the founder, Grant Richardson. So welcome to the first episode in our podcast series, The Code of Traditional Archery. And what we're going to do is we're going to start talking a bit about origins, and that is the name of this episode. I consider myself lucky. I was born into a hunting family, um, and I consider that heritage a strong part of what has ended up becoming the framework for a shot methodology that is centered around ethics, specifically about traditional bow hunting. Both my grandfathers hunted and fished. My dad's father was a conservation officer uh, here in Ontario, Canada, and taught me when I was very young, uh, before he taught me anything about hunting, specifically how to track animals. Um, identify birds and animals and have that connection and understanding that uh, process they call the circle of life. And this led to, of course, uh, my interest in, in hunting. When, when I was young, um, a bow to him was just another method of, of hunting for my grandfather. Uh, there was no uh, technology then for him. Uh, he shot a recurve uh, when I was very young. And he would pick it up and go for a walk for deer in the morning. And that was his walk in October and November. And he'd, he'd come back home. And the one thing that really stuck with me at that point was that it was definitely a game of, of how close. And we hear that these days. Um, but unfortunately, in a lot of cases these days, we've actually moved away from how close to how far. And that is one of the big triggers, uh, so to speak, that got me into actually um, developing an online platform for people to learn as well as in-person training in instinctive traditional archery shooting and developing the Archer's Trinity shooting method simply because um, we seem to have a fascination with whatever weapon we have um, with regards to how far and how accurate we can be at distance. And the bow being a primitive weapon, the traditional bow anyway, um, that shot methodology um, of trying to stretch and reach out farther oftentimes results in uh, not only an ethics piece with regards to um, missing, but also potentially wounding and not recovering animal as the um, final analysis of that distant shooting. Um, just simply because you know, hunting situations are dynamic, whereas 3D, even 3D competitor shoots are not dynamic, even though you may be under intense pressure to make that shot in front of a lot of people. So in my early years, this became a thing of constant searching for nature's cues as I walked through the woods and as a result, what she had to teach me. And if you're a student of bushcraft or traditional archery or, or bow hunting um, in a primitive way, this means learning through failure and trials and hard education. So I was raised to respect the outdoors and be responsible for learning those various habits of the animals and protect the environment of the game that was pursued. There was no how-to uh, shows much. There was no big buck TV shows or YouTube video channels or trail cameras. Um, it was uh, woodsmanship. And at the first few years I could actually hunt in Ontario, I was not allowed to hunt alone with a shotgun for almost three years. And it wasn't due to a safety factor with my father. Um, he wanted me to learn to actually how to hunt and not shoot. And although I went out numerous times with him chasing upland birds um, as a kid, uh, my primary source of hunting alone was with a bow. And I chased everything from rabbits, grouse, pheasants, even Hungarian partridge, ducks, and geese. And of course, the holy grail of my youth, which was white-tailed deer. And at that time, I should say, um, our population here in Ontario, whitetails, was actually at a low. Um, in the early 80s, it was um, we had a series of very hard winters. And so seeing a, a deer back then, you would put in a long time just to even see one. And even finding a track or seeing one sitting in the stand was like seeing a unicorn. And that was quite uh, quite a, a learning curve for me as a kid, um, especially when I started hunting. The first two or three years I was bow hunting for deer was um, definitely a learning curve and failure. 
you know, I lost arrow shooting at ducks, pheasants, and grouse, and I connected once in a while, and I learned that the bow was a primitive short-range weapon, an art form of silence and patience, and it forced the hunter into becoming a hunter and not a shooter. The bow demanded discipline and consistency, and when followed correctly and used appropriately, it, it proved to me its lethality in delivering an arrow to the intended target with an ancient and effective purpose. I'm older now, and I've been using a recurve bow to hunt with for almost 40 years, and it still teaches me something about myself every time I pull back the string, but more importantly, connects me to my ancestors and all of our ancient hunter-gatherer roots who beckon me to the forests and fields to hunt with them. And, you know, raising three kids uh, with my wife was really critical for us um, when they were at a young age. Um, my wife as well had a grandfather who was a conservation officer in the United States and uh, a park ranger. And, you know, when she was young, she was making bows out of willow branches and arrows and, you know, uh, going out into the woods by herself and and developing those same uh, woodsmanship and bushcraft skills. And that resiliency in a lot of youth today is slowly being lost, being lost to not only different social media platforms, but devices in which those platforms are, of course, populated. And it, it's within the cast of those devices um, and my own experience in seeing the evolution of uh, especially our children and identifying with the natural world that is really being lost. And a lot of the driver behind this legacy piece of not only the code of traditional archery, but the archer's trinity shooting method is to put in place a really good solid foundation for uh, anyone looking to get into the sport of traditional archery and traditional bow hunting more importantly. Um, we're not chasing um, Olympic dreams here. We're not teaching people how to shoot um, field archery. Uh, we're specifically focusing on the bow hunting aspect with a recurve, longbow, self-bow, flatbow, uh, that kind of thing. And I think when you start to actually look deeper into people's connections, um, you really see an interest there that we all have. If you if you look at a lot of the shows that are prevalent today um, on reality TV, there's a massive connection the world has, has really undergone uh, going back to those roots, um, hunter-gatherers, um, foraging, uh, hunting. And that root connection is really important to instill in our youth today. Uh, that's being lost to uh, like... I had mentioned the the whole uh, devices and so you know social media aspect, and it's changing the face of resiliency uh, around the planet, and that can be turned around to a certain degree just by planting the seeds of that connection. There isn't arguably a uh, civilization on the earth today that doesn't owe itself to uh, bow hunting or even hunting with an atlatl or some other sort of primitive method uh, to, for survival and the means in which we've come into what people call modern day society. I teach my own children the same ways to scout and track and hunt with archery equipment and important to respect the limitations that traditional archery has of their of the effectiveness of it. And it, it's that point where the true journey begins in developing that path to connecting to our ancestors. So if ethics and the stewardship that accompanies it are the backbone of the code of traditional archery, uh, the archery trinity shooting method and the lessons learned within that method are the foundation. Uh, more than ever, it's really critical to understand the connection which is at our core of who we are and our resilience as a species. And meeting this head on as a hunter will not only help you understand the crucial connections to Mother Earth, but in doing so, it'll resonate within you to protect her. And if your idea of hunting is, you know, if it's brown, it's down, whack them, stack them, then this, you know, probably isn't going to be for you. But I ask you to stand fast and hang with me. Um, I'm not going to waste your time, but in order to be effective in the process, I am going to 
definitely emphasize that hunting traditional bows is going to be where ethics will hit you squarely in the face. If you want to take long shots on game, use a rifle. If you're looking at learning how to shoot close consistently for hunting situations, listen on. Trad hunting or stick and string hunting has become very popular again, and the surge it's created is resulting in a lot of gadgets being added to the mix. Clickers, releases, um, it has all crept into traditional archery. Not just for accuracy, but for the long game. The issue with adding something to something that's already simple is that it will bring a quick fix to things. The problem is with traditional archery is that it is a difficult process. And that process does require a certain amount of training and commitment. And that training and commitment, um, you know, takes time, takes flight time and development in order to be able to be consistent. And, you know, we're all predisposed to picking up a bow and understanding the mechanics of how that works. In other words, you pick up the bow, you hold it, whether you're right or left-handed, you knock the arrow, you look at the target, you draw the bow back with whatever you, manner in which you use using to aim, whether it's sights, gap shooting, um, point shooting, or instinctive. And what you're doing is pulling the bow back to a certain point and releasing the arrow to the target. And there's what's in between all that that actually ends up starting to matter when it comes to hunting. Now, I can argue that becoming a better shot faster is efficient for sure, but the problem is that we have gone into a space of needing everything fast. It's that what I call the pop can machine syndrome. You put your money in and expect results. And if you don't get results, bing, frustration starts and you start blaming the weapon first. And after you can't figure out what's going on and you can't blame the weapon anymore, you start blaming the process. And just like anything, starting off as a beginner, this process will improve in time. I once helped a young fellow who transitioned from a compound to a recurve and was having a lot of issues. He purchased a very pricey custom recurve, literally one of the top custom bow makers you could buy at the time. And he could not understand with this bow, after he'd been shooting a compound for all the years he had and taken several deer with this, including a moose and several black bear, he was having issues being accurate at even 20 yards. Well, among other things, he presumed the bow would do the work for him. He was getting target panic, and I say that term very carefully, and he'd find it difficult to hold the anchor point and would shake and lose his focus. Now, let's start off with by saying he was using a, a release, uh, trigger release, and he was very effective shooting with a compound. In fact, he'd won some significant 3D events across Canada and the eastern United States a few times, and he was very competent with a compound bow. But he really felt like he'd run his um, time out with the compound and wanted to step into something that was more difficult. And the first thing I said to him was, the you know, what you need to do, first of all, is the bow and the weapon you've chosen the draw weight is one of the big problems you're having an issue with. He said, well, you know, my bow is only 55 pounds. I said, yeah, but the problem is the mental game that you're pulling back is that it's increasing and getting more difficult to hold it. And the process of drawing that compound, having quite a bit of the weight let off of that compound um, when those cams turned over, gave him that ability to settle into a shot process. And really he was starting over all again. The only thing that was really valuable to him at that time was knocking the arrow and drawing the bow back. He understood that much. And what I ended up doing, um, I'm going to get into, but we talked a little bit about structure and giving him a good structure. And I don't mean about the shot process. I'm talking about the ethics piece. And I told him, you're going to have to learn to get used to having deer close to you. His average shot with a compound was 30 to 40 yards with his compound. He'd taken one deer under 30 yards. All the other deer he'd taken were pretty, pretty far off shots. Now, mind you, he was hunting over an open field and the animals would come in, they'd get, you know, within his distance and he was effective at that distance. But I told him, you're going to have to learn to have an animal closer to you and get over the fact that you're going to have to learn to wait. So there's a lot of things that were on his mind as he got into this process. And, you know, I said, you know, the biggest obstacle you're going to have to overcome right now is going down and draw weight. And of course, 
you could see the look on his face. It's like, oh, no. If I go down and draw weight, you know, does that make me less effective? And I explained to him very carefully. I said, you know, my father and his friends in the 60s and 70s were actually taking deer, black bear, and moose with 50-pound, 45-pound recurves and longbows with Port Orford cedar arrows tipped with old bear razor heads and um, Zwicky Eskimo broadheads. And he looked at me and I said, those arrows on average, their speed was maybe 170, 180 feet per second tops, maybe, give or take. And I said, you know, they were taking them out to 40 yards, you know, moose and bear and deer, of course, closer. My point with him was, is that um, don't be fooled by what technology and big business has taught you about your distance, about your accuracy. Um, it's really critical at this point in the game for you, changing over to from a traditional bow to a compound, that you go back and reassess your hunting values and your ethics. Now, that piece pops up a lot, but it's important to keep coming back to it because it really is part of the origins of who I am, Grant Richardson, and where I've developed this system and this methodology. Because once you have found what we call your effective lethal range, which is something that took me years to kind of get my head around and develop, that effective lethal range will follow you in any environment or terrain or animal or bird or fowl you intend to pursue with your bow. And that effective lethal range will be burned into your brain and your subconscious, enabling you to have the confidence to actually make that shot when it counts. You know, the bow he had bought was beautiful. It was a beautiful custom bow, but he'd been using a release aid all his life. And over the past nine years shooting a compound, he was drawing with a deep, deep, deep hook um, in his hand with his palm turned over, almost using zero back tension with his release. He would raise the bow high in the air and after only a few arrows shot, practically ripping the bow back, had no control over his shot process. So I went into my parents' house at the time um, where I had the range set up, brought out a, a lighter recurve and had him go through a shot cycle twice before shooting. And we shot it only about 10 yards. He was amazed and could not believe that all zeros were sitting in a pretty decent group as well after about 10 minutes. And we worked together that week for an hour and a day and began to see an hour a day correction and began to see a pattern with the lighter bow. He wasn't getting tired and he could manage the weight in drawing that bow. He was able to relax and focus more on his shot cycle. And he began to stop worrying about the bow draw and began to work on his consistency. And we developed a very efficient shot platform and cycle that ended up working very well for him. Keep in mind, this was without sights, a clicker, or even anchoring long. He wasn't snap shooting, and we actually had to work on him eliminating uh, plucking, which is actually kind of pulling on the strings you release, like strumming a guitar. But what we ended up doing was setting up a foundation for consistency with what lies in between his ears and his sighting system and a kinesthetic system that has highly evolved in all of us. And this is what I found when I was very young, starting off in shooting, that if I really thought about what I was doing uh, too much as I was actually getting on that animal, and that's actually where I started getting worried and questioning my, my process. And this mental game went back and forth. And uh, over the years, I started correlating um, a very combative form of martial arts training and the methodologies and concepts and principles behind that training actually into a system that ended up becoming the Archer's Trinity shooting method. And this centers around bow arm, draw anchor, and shot release. Now, follow through is part of that shot release, of course. But what's important to note is, is that it was the training and the drills within that method that was developed that I was taught as a young child by my father that enabled me to become very effective at shooting instinctive um, for bow hunting in particular. And while I'm not, uh, you know, against 3D shooting or 3D shoots, what ends up becoming a problem for a lot of people on 3D shoots is that they compare it very, very closely to hunting situations. And while I've been to probably over about 30 3D shoots 
Um, I stopped shooting in the last 10 or 15 years at them. I was shooting 3D when I was around um, 10, 11 years old before Mackenzie was even making targets and they were making them out of foam blocks and spray painting them. And at that point, when I was young, I was shooting against, there was no categories for youth. I shot up against other youth with compounds and sights. And I was shooting a uh, Browning recurve at the time. And for me, it really stood out, uh, not using sights and drawing with a tab, that I was definitely at that point realizing that maybe I was handicapped because I see these guys walk up to the line with their sights and, you know, come to full draw and hold and hold and hold and shoot. And quite frankly, I placed very well in a lot of those shooting competitions as a youth. And as I got older and got put into different categories in shooting, it became pretty clear to me after I started hunting and going to 3D archery shoots that in many cases, a lot of the shots that were set up in 3D shoots, even for uh, stick bows, recurves, and longbows, were not hunting appropriate shots. Sometimes the target was facing you. Um, sometimes it was obstructed too much. And this was all meant to add a degree of difficulty, which I completely get. I understand that. But what it ends up doing is, in some cases, I have completely found in teaching and coaching people that it gives them a very false sense of security in what they're actually able to do ability-wise. And I found this out when I was very, very young. Um, The pressure and the movement of an animal is dynamic and kinetic. And you don't have control over what that animal is going to do. Very little control over that. And uh, when I was very young, I asked a fella who consistently went up to um, the Ontario Boner Association spring black bear camps. I said, you know, you apparently you, you had a lot of bears around you um, close enough for you to shoot. Why you didn't take any shots? And he said to me, and this fellow is actually famous in bow hunting world today. He's a famous actual archer, um, instinctive archer. And he looked at me and he said, the bear didn't give me the shot. In other words, you know, it wasn't that he didn't have the shot. The bear didn't present himself for the shot. And I, it really struck me um, at that age that it's really the animal that gives you the shot. And you can actually practice as much as you want, but if the animal does not give you the shot, you don't have it. And that's not the case with 3D hunting. A lot of p- times people get real good and, and confident shooting foam. The problem is it's static and stationary, and it is an important piece, but it is one piece of the training that goes um, into what the Archer's training instinctive shooting method actually is and how it was developed. And within those origins, I learned the hard way, not only by missing, but by realizing some of those shots I missed shouldn't have been shots to begin with. Um, One of the things you see quite often in 3D archery is that, um, and I don't want this to be a hack on on 3D archery, I highly encourage people to actually shoot it. But I encourage people to look at 3D archery and foam target hunting or shooting, I should say, as a form of training. Much in the same way a boxer will actually train in the gym. So, you know, he or her will go into the gym, they'll warm up, they'll start doing some calisthenics, they'll they'll grab the skipping rope and they'll work on their footwork and their timing with the skipping rope. So they'll skip, they'll do a series of training exercises, they might do some kettlebells and warm up, for 15 or 20 minutes, maybe go for a run. And then they'll come back in the gym. They'll hit the double-ended ball, the speed ball. They'll hit the focus mitts a bit. They'll go down to the heavy bag. If they're in doing something like Muay Thai boxing, they might hit the tie pads. And it starts to get closer and closer to actual sparring until they're actually all-out sparring. Now, the thing is about a good boxer is they won't spar every day. There's a reason for this. If you spar every day as a boxer, you're going to end up developing significant brain um, issues and concussive issues and um, TBA issues with or TBI issues with with injuries and it, that type of um, assessments. They'll only spar once in a while, and when they spar all out, it's usually not even close to a fight because they can't afford to get injured. 
And in respect to that training development, if people use those analogies when they're shooting uh, traditional bows, they'd be a heck of a lot more effective. Commonly, what you see is folks line up and they'll shoot three arrows from the same distance. And what they're doing is they're under training or undervaluing the approach they could be using and taking um, when learning how to bow hunt more effectively within that effective lethal range, whatever that may be. And, you know, when it comes down to actually developing that process at a 3D shoot, it's important to realize that, like I said, you know, what's analogous to that 3D shoot is that, you know, maybe that's the heavy bag and focus mitt training for a traditional archer. But it's how you use that 3D uh, target to your advantage, which really, you know, makes a difference. I would say that probably well over 50% of shots I've ever taken on a 3D range um, in a 3D shoot, I would never take in real life, just simply because of the obstructions. If the animal was moving um, and the situations was dynamic, it, it just wouldn't happen. Um, you know, forcing you develop consistency is really critical. And, you know, as a, as a young guy, I realized very quickly that um, it was not a toy. It was a weapon system to be respected and an art form that demanded the ethics in order to bow hunt with it effectively. And I mean, by effective, I mean within your own ability. And if that lethal range ability is 10 yards, well, that's fine. And that's what defines your lethal range. When I was a youth, my lethal range for a deer was around 15 feet, uh, simply not just because of the um, effectiveness of my shooting ability, but because of the terrain and I was hunting in, it was just very tight cover. And it lent itself to learning how to get close. You know, what defines your lethal range is completely up to you, but it, that, that ability will dictate your effective range where you're no, you know, you know you're capable of putting that arrow into an animal with all outliers and variables aside and, you know, mitigating things like people call target panic. Um, and if you're not comfortable in a lethal range, then you're simply not ready to hunt with a stick and string. Now, I have found I can get anyone hunt ready within about 30 days of shooting if they follow the plan and they actually do the training drills. That doesn't mean they're going to be able to fling arrows up to 40 yards consistently. What it means is they're going to find their effective lethal range, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 yards, and stay within that range to be effective. Um, for me, target panic starts with definitions such as a struggle stick. And this engages a perception of perceived and not real you know, efficiency. And you know what? I'm going to be blunt with you from the very beginning here in Origins. Um, and I have found this as a youth. If you're tired, um, and, I've, I've, and I should say I found that as a youth in my Origins. If you're tired, your shooting is going to be tired. If you are... Um, Awake and alert, your shooting's going to be awake and alert, right? Um, if your thought process is elsewhere, you're probably not going to be focused when that animal comes in or surprised when one suddenly appears. And we've all had that happen. And, you know, learning to take your time and not rush that shot is going to matter a lot in that training uh, paradigm for certain, you know, um, you know, you have to remember um, that you don't need to spend a fortune to start off with. I mean, I shot uh, an old Browning Wasp recurve as a youth for a long time. Um, it was, you know, even at that point, it, it had become a vintage bow. It's an older bow. And it, it, it was just fine. You don't need to spend a fortune, though. And there's great starter kits out there. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, a lighter weight hunting bow is still going to be efficient because it's, it's really what, you know, we talk about um, shot placement being more important than speed, right? And I say that a lot. And good correct shot placement is going to trump speed any day. So you got to not worry about that. You're starting out, grab yourself a lightweight bow and remember, you know, um, get good at, at being comfortable drawing that bow. And when you start, you know, 
shooting, um, don't worry about um, taking, you know, these large steps and shooting lots of reps. You know, shoot a dozen arrows, come back and start again. Uh, you don't have to go off, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, shoot dozens of arrows. And, and in that course, um, you know, try to uh, damage anything or get poor shot form down. Because what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up finding that um, you're going to miss out on some of the small points to correct yourself. You know, if you... If you think about, um, you know, small steps in your process, it's going to end up becoming much more effective in the long run, especially when it comes to shooting um, under pressure or situations that, you know, environmental situations like extreme cold and or you've got a lot of bulky clothing on. So, you know, start off, get a light bow, um, you know, shoot a dozen arrows a day and step away from it. Um, come back to it a little later on, you know, break it up. Um, don't shoot once or twice a week, 40 or 50 arrows. You're going to end up, um, you know, overdoing it and, and not getting that consistency. And I don't want to get too much more into that part of the process in our first episode here um, of the code of traditional archery. I really want to focus on the, the, the developmental piece of you know, introducing people to the sport in an effective way, in an effective manner. Because when it comes down to it, really what I see in the last 10 years happening with traditional bow hunting is that it's now, you know, the gadgets have really crept in um, to traditional archery. And I owe a lot, I think a lot of this has to do with the technical crowd, um, you know, coming from compounds or people that are trying to compensate for shooting poorly. And I talked a little bit about the struggle stick mentality. And by no means am I saying that it isn't a struggle stick for some people. But if you think of that bow as being a struggle stick, it's going to become a struggle stick. The mental game is really important. When I'm shooting, I'm shooting instinctive. And I actually, a lot of people say, well, you know, how, what is instinctive shooting? Well, you know what? It actually requires the same amount of training as any other type of shooting. It does require a set of consistencies with regards to drawing and releasing that arrow or loosing that arrow from your bow. But it requires a lot of other training as well, focusing specifically on looking at what you want to hit and being consistent with that process of drawing the bow in anchoring and releasing. And it's the focus bit that is lost on a lot of people when they're trying to shoot instinctive. Um, you know, you know, it's really important. If you can't shoot instinctively in an effective lethal range, you need to use something else like a clicker or another gadget and you have to fall on back. That's fine. I am not here to be the trad police. In fact, I'm the polar opposite. And I think it's critical to, you know, mention that no matter what platform you're shooting, it isn't the weapon. It's the user. It's always about the operator. Uh, it isn't the platform. I mean, unless you've got really poorly matched arrows for your bow, um, you should be able to be fairly consistent with different platforms. But when it comes to traditional archery and shooting instinctive specifically, especially for bow hunting situations, it is very critical, as I said before, to focus on, you know, um, getting that arrow to the target where you want it to go. And in order to do that, it does require training and development. You know, I remember when I was young, uh, Sundays, there was no gun hunting and I was crazy about duck hunting and I, uh, would wake my father up, you know, you got to drive me out to the river. I want to duck hunt. So I want to duck hunt with your bow. Yeah. I want to duck hunt with my bow. So we would go out, wake up early. Of course, the birds weren't moving around as much normally because there wasn't a lot of other, you know, gun hunters out in their blinds. But, you know, I think I went out probably about a dozen times as a kid, um, bow hunting on Sundays for ducks in the morning and I'd throw out some decoys pretty close and I'd sit there with an arrow knocked on the shore and I did shoot at a lot of ducks and I missed a lot of ducks and I was using flu flus, which are, if you don't know, they're, they're a, a type of arrow with the feathers that are much larger, uh, to slow in order to slow the arrow flight down. I still lost a lot of arrows and I did manage to hit a few ducks once in a while. In fact, I did. Um, the problem was I quickly found that if I took my time on those birds, 
um, when they were either decoying or jumping out of the decoys in the air, because I didn't, sh- I didn't sluice them on the water. I actually let them land and jump them, or I would, I would try to hit them when they were coming in. I did try pass shooting ducks with a bow. It is extremely difficult, but uh, I don't, I do know people that have done it. Um, a good friend of my father's in New Mexico. Um, this guy actually hunted teal with his with a longbow and uh, and knocked him out of the air with a longbow. And you know what he said to me? He said, "You know, no one never told me I couldn't." And that therein lies part of the problem. See with the mental game, and that's why I relay. Um, I you hear me use the word critical a lot because a point I want to emphasize especially when it comes to things like words like target panic and struggle stick. These are things that your mental game will pick up and they will become negative pro words in your brain when you're not making that shot. So, you know, what I learned from that going duck hunting is that, you know, duck hunting with the bow, of course, is not success driven. But then again, is it really success driven? Is it all about, you know, actually being able to you know, be successful every time you're out. Well, no, it's not, you know, and if I look at the breakdown of why I wasn't successful, well, simply the game I was playing, I was playing a game with waterfowl um, that was difficult. Secondly, the success I had behind it was simply because no one told me that I couldn't hunt ducks with a bow. It was impossible, right? And you hear that from some people like it was crazy, but you see, the thing is, I had sat and watched a, a very well-known, famous person, arguably the grandfather or father of modern traditional bow hunting, Fred Bear, on a sportsman show sitting on my grandfather's knee when I was younger and, you know, plucking pheasants out of the air with his recurve. And, you know, that struck me. I'm like, look at that guy shooting pheasants out of the air with his recurve, with his bow. So when I was older and I could bow hunt and there was no Sunday gun hunting for ducks and we couldn't go out and, and shotgun for ducks, there I was with my bow. And what I learned from that process, getting back to that close game, is that first of all, I was definitely doing something that was more difficult. But, you know, not only was I having fun do it, but I was successful at times as well. And, you know, each success or each near miss drew me closer to you know, a construct and a building block for learning and training, which became very important to me later in life, not only in combative martial arts, but for any type of shooting platform. And that was, I didn't count what I was doing and focus what I was doing when I missed. I didn't try to figure out how did I miss? What happened? Well, there's all sorts of compensating factors, which could lead you down into, you know, the deep into the weeds. And what I did was I realized I turned that around and started focusing on when I did hit, what I did to make that hit successful. What was, a, what was it about that shot that actually brought it all together? You know, on a flying uh, mallard that I just jumped out of the decoys at 15 yards you know, was it because I was prepared and visualizing, you know, where I wanted that arrow to go on the bird? Was I even thinking about that? These are all things that ran through my head as part of that shooting process. What I can tell you is, is that I don't recall hitting my anchor point when I released that arrow at any time. I just remember sending the arrow to the bird. Now, let's take a step back for a minute. You know, any type of close quarters combat shooting or gunfighter training they're doing they teach you target acquisition by looking through the sights and this is extremely important as apex predators in dynamic situations our thinking brain stops and i realized this as a youth without actually coming to this tangible conclusion but our thinking brain stops and the more we start thinking the more doubt creeps into our mind and when the adrenaline dump hits, we go back into that apex predator state. We go back into that, you know, um, ability and position to actually just follow through with direct action kinetically, right? And we talk about, you know, and it's been talked about the sympathetic nervous system and how it reacts to stress and pressure. And having that big, massive buck walk into you 
Um, and I'm using that image because that's the image that the media portrays to us constantly, you know, as the ultimate thing and their technical products is the ultimate ability to actually harvest that thing when it actually comes down to the operator. And preparing for that is actually a process that is the challenge and it's the training that's the challenge. You know, it's not the, um, the, the launching system or the platform you're doing it from. You know, the best people in the world miss. Think about that for a minute. The best marksmen and snipers in militaries all over the world miss. Now, let's step into that process of missing for a minute. What do they do to compensate for missing? Well, they look at what they did effectively and fall back on it, and they do it again and repeat it. And when they repeat that process, what ends up happening is that consistency starts creeping into the process. Now, practice routinely is what trumps um, us getting into that negative mindset or that struggle stick mindset, you know, and defaulting to blaming, you know, the platform you're using versus practice and consistency. So when we talk about the sympathetic nervous system and being apex predators, when we shoot dynamically in hunting situations in the Archer's Trinity shooting method, just like I did as a kid, as a youth, we tend to go into this in a very close state so that we're already confident within our effective lethal range at delivering that arrow where we're going to look. Now, this is an important piece as a kid I learned really quickly, right? Um, and I've heard people lately say, you know, we got sneaky and started actually getting closer. Well, the thing is, that's what our ancestors did. They realized pretty quickly that the effectiveness of any weapon in any weapon system drastically dropped that effectiveness and functional ability in that delivering that weapon, whether it was an arrow or a spirit of that animal, the farther away we got, they needed to get closer, much closer. I mean, in some cultures, they drove animals over cliffs and, and herded them over cliffs and finished them with bows and arrows because it was more efficient and then processed the animals, right? And, you know, solo hunting with a bow or a, or a spear was a thing of difficulty and it wasn't a long game. Now, we have some people in the world, of course, that have touched us in many ways, like the Howard Hills. And I can speak of a few other people as well that I think are just incredible shots. And one of the reasons they're able to make the shots they were able to make is because no one told them they couldn't do it. And no one told them they needed technical gadgets or devices to actually do it with. They developed a system that worked for themselves. If you think for a minute Howard Hill picked up a bow and knocked an arrow and looked at the target and had any self-doubt at all in his mind of delivering that arrow to what he was looking at hitting, think again. I mean, especially with some of his trick shots he did with, with individuals and people, he was extremely confident in, in that weapons platform and in his own shooting abilities. He didn't sit there and measure his draw length and, you know, uh, perpendicular to his left foot and how he was standing and all this. It was very dynamic, you know, um, and if he missed, he shot again and practiced. And if we go back to that marksmanship training, I mean, consistently the best shots in the world under any platform shoot on a very consistent basis, right? And when they shoot, they shoot under different conditions. The conditions they shoot under, just like me duck hunting as a kid or pheasant hunting and grouse hunting with a bow, you know, it dictates a certain amount of pressure, right? And that's the one thing about 3D shooting. There may be pressure for people around you watching you shoot, you know, and the pressure of making that shot to score a better score for your scorecard for the day for that round. But the pressure is much higher when it's a live animal in an environment because a misplaced shot could result in a wounded animal or a miss altogether and a, and a ruined hunt. The thing is, as a youth, I started counting my hunts as not being ruined, but learning experiences very quickly. And I was taught to not make those mistakes again in a lot of cases. And I think that's the piece that's missing from 
some shop platforms and some people switching over and starting off with their traditional bow these days is that they believe that they need a certain amount of things in order to get started. And it's actually a very simple process. It doesn't need to be made difficult by adding things to it. So, you know, when we talk about the marksmanship piece and shooting and consistency and missing, try to focus on your successes and not your misses. Don't look at it as a struggle stick. Find that effective lethal range and get really good at shooting at that range before you start branching away. Right. One of my first lessons as a kid from my father, and we're going to go into some, you know, some uh, lessons learned stories in some future episodes is, you know, uh, I can recall my father taking a shot at a deer when I was before I was able to hunt. And I've been following him around for years um, prior to that. And uh, he did graze that buck. Uh, it wasn't hit lethally, but the, the lessons I learned that night tracking for hours and hours and we had backed out early on and gotten back onto the track later on several hours later was that you know you owed it to that animal there was a piece there of of you know that was missing i thought oh you know my dad's one of the best shots he's a he never misses well he he did miss but as a kid i was focused on when he hit the target really effectively and if we can change that mentality in traditional archery um especially with people getting into it certainly will um, definitely help us out later on down the road. You know, um, I think it's really important to understand that uh, as you grow and as you get into the sport, uh, you see a lot of people uh, when they um, start uh, off shooting, really disparaging the fact they can't be consistent in groupings right um and getting back to that you know consistency and marksmanship piece though those groupings are really based on shooting you see a lot of people shooting three arrows and what i will generally do is say hey i want sure you can shoot three arrows but i want you to shoot them at a different place every time i'm a big fan of the one arrow shot go back to the target and shoot again i i also shoot uh for groupings but i don't worry about groupings from the same place um, I want to shoot from a different place each time because that will then train my brain to actually make those adjustments naturally by themselves. You know, the shooting process I learned that, that, that I was taught as a kid that became the Archer's Trinity shooting method, it was not just a process of shooting the bow, but it was a whole method of application that ended up becoming completely functional. Um, and it's an intuitive process of connecting the brain, the hand-eye coordination, and kinesthetic perception, which results in the ability to develop an instinctive method of shooting a bow. And it really is a point-and-shoot method in principle. You know, and if you can come and overcome the, you know, come to terms with it and overcome the, the, the fact that you're going to miss, um, you're going to start off on the right foot because you're not going to be you know, grieving your misses, you're going to be praising your, your hits and your successes. You know, uh, having kids involved in the sport and getting them off on the right foot uh, is, is really critical. And, you know, if we start adding all sorts of um, different aspects to that game of complicating it, um, I find they lose interest really fast. When I'm coaching our youngest, who's 11 years old now, she's been shooting since she was around three years of age. She's able to consistently shoot a 40 pound recurve at her draw length now, um, which is, you know, pretty fantastic for her age. And she's been shooting a long time. And Frequently, what I will do, I will not micromanage her when I'm coaching. I will let her shoot as much as she wants um, at her own pace and own rate in her own comfort zone. And once in a while, she has now learned to look up at me and say, what do you think about that? And instead of correcting her, I will turn it around and focus on the positive she was doing. More, you know, like her, she had a good clean release. Her anchor pocket was really good. And these are some terms from the Arches Trinity um, instinctive shooting method we're going to get into in later episodes. But, you know, 
All these things that connect us makes us stronger. And the failures that hunting tradition teaches us about dealing with adversity is really the final analysis. And, and I believe the main driver, because like I said, in the midst of failure, that process of learning accelerates growth. And when that occurs, it becomes fuel. And it, it is in that failure with that fuel that ignites us to push forward and connect with our ancient brain. The urge to overcome or prevail against the wild environment, weather and terrain is developed in this process and forged in triggering critical thinking attributes. These engage us as humans into lessons learned and break down strategically in a learning curve that makes us more effective to both ourselves and the places we live. Embracing the lessons learned trial and error is innate in all of us as humans and strongly, um, I believe it is central to us as a species embedded in our DNA as a result of our ancestors and the ability to overcome failure in order to survive. When you walk the path of the hunter, you connect with these ancestors. And when you walk this path that the challenge of the stick and string uh, brings, you embrace hardship and difficulty, um, be, being forced to get close to that animal. And our ancestors learn to overcome failure by not repeating mistakes and learning from their mistakes the same we can each day. Because for them, repeating a mistake could mean death and hunger. You know, self-resiliency and dependence many times in this current world we live in, we rely on others for our sustainment. And it, that reliance leaves us relying on others for food and water. And these necessities um, teach ourselves to, you know, uh, when you pick up that bow and arrow, to overcome simple obstacles or even formulate a strategy to overcome these obstacles. And learning how to apply the old ways to our current world, I believe, is key to our survival. Embracing our past and learning from that is an essential skill set we can all learn and grow fun. So let's grow together and walk together. Uh, thank you for listening to um, what is our first episode of Origins um, of the Code of Traditional Archery. We hope you uh, follow us for more, and we look forward to your feedback. Walk with us.